Hi everyone, welcome again to Logical Bible Study, and this is the Catholic podcast where every day we take a look at scripture and really dive into it. So we have a bit of a longer passage today, we have the parable of the sower, the well-known parable of the sower, so let's see if we can learn some new things uh, from this passage, because often I don't think it's presented uh, particularly accurately, I think there's more going on here on the text than what people realise, so Luke chapter 8 verse 4 to 15. With a large crowd gathering and people from every town finding their way to him, Jesus used this parable. A sower went out to sow his seed. As he sowed, some fell on the edge of the path and was trampled on, and the birds of the air ate it up. Some seed fell on rock, and when it came up it withered away, having no moisture. Some seed fell amongst thorns, and the thorns grew with it and choked it. And some seed fell into rich soil, and grew and produced its crop a hundredfold. Saying this, he cried, Listen, anyone who has ears to hear. His disciples asked him what the parable might mean. And he said, The mysteries of the kingdom of God are revealed to you. For the rest there are only parables, so that they may see but not perceive, listen but not understand, This, then, is what the parable means. The seed is the word of God. Those on the edge of the path are people who have heard it, and the devil comes and carries away the word from their hearts in case they should believe and be saved. Those on the rock are people who, when they first hear it, welcome the word with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while, and in time of trial they give up. As for the path that fell into thorns, this is people who have heard, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the worries and riches and pleasures of life and do not reach maturity. As for the part in the rich soil, this is people with a noble and generous heart who have heard the word and take it to themselves and yield a harvest through their perseverance. So this is the famous parable of the sower. You've probably heard it a few times in this podcast because it's in both Matthew, Mark, and now Luke as well. So that tells us that it's a particularly important parable, at least in the minds of the gospel authors, because they have limited space. They don't have uh, an unlimited amount of paper to write with when they write their gospels. It's actually quite costly to write a full gospel. So they're very careful about which parables they choose to include, but they all choose to include this one. So they see it as particularly important. It's very well known in our culture today as one of Jesus' parables. And what's significant about this parable is that Jesus himself provides the interpretation of the parable. Most of them, most of the parables Jesus gives, he doesn't actually tell us what each of the elements means. But here we get to hear the private briefing he gives his disciples about what it means. So let's start by asking what's the context. So Jesus has begun his ministry in Galilee. He's been doing healings and teaching. And we're getting today to a part where he starts to do more parables. And this is where I think exegesis becomes really focused and useful. Many people would say that parables have lots of hidden meanings. There's lots of different interpretations of parables. And Jesus intends there to be lots of different ways of taking his parables. That might be true in a sense. But in general, if you look at the Gospels... When Jesus uses a parable, he usually has one specific point in mind that he wants people to take away from the parable, and it's usually a point about the kingdom of God. 
And in this podcast, we do an analysis of the literal sense of the text. So we want to get at what did Jesus mostly mean? What was his primary meaning when he gave these parables? So the science of exegesis is going to be really important when we approach parables. If we want to make sure that we don't get off track, uh, we need to do exegesis properly. So verse 4, with a large crowd gathering and people from every town finding their way to him. So the other gospels tell us that for this scene, Jesus is on the lake, he's at the lakeside. And in fact, there's so many people that Jesus gets into a boat, which would have been like a large canoe, and he sits on the shore in the boat, but just out from the shore teaching. And sound carries well over water. So thousands of people probably were there and they could have heard him if they stood on the slope of the hill surrounding the lake. So Jesus could be on the boat, his voice would carry over water, and thousands of people would hear him. And it's also very good because it means Jesus isn't suffocated by the masses. There's a bit of space between him and the crowds. It says Jesus used this parable. Now, what's a parable? It comes from the Greek word parabole, and that basically means comparison. A parable can actually include various different kinds of things. It can include proverbs, it can include short wisdom sayings, it can include analogies, metaphors. All of those would come under what in New Testament times was called a a parable or a comparison. Parables actually appear in the Old Testament as well. Jesus did not invent parables. He just chose to use parables a lot because that was a common way of speaking in his time. But it is in the Old Testament, particularly if you look at books like Proverbs and the other wisdom literature, there's a lot of parables in there. In the context of Jesus' ministry, he uses parables in terms of short, memorable stories, and they usually relate in some way to daily life. And Jesus uses these parables to deliberately convey some sort of spiritual truth. Why does Jesus use parables? There's actually a few different things to say here. Firstly, if Jesus came right out and just said, here's how the Trinity works, here's how the kingdom of God works, here's what the Messiah is, here's how the Son of God was pre-existent, if he said all these really abstract theological things, most of the common people wouldn't actually understand that. So Jesus chooses a mode of speech that will enable the maximum number of people to understand the basic point he's making about the kingdom. So he deliberately chooses to not speak plainly when he's talking to the crowds. So when he does these parables, he sets up a familiar situation that everyone in the crowd would be familiar with because that was how the culture worked, like a sower. Everyone would know what a sower is. And then he says, the kingdom of God is like this. So the hope, Jesus' hope is that by setting things up this way, people will understand a bit more about how the kingdom of God works. Now, that's a basic analysis, but there's a bit more to say here because... Jesus actually gives parables to make things more difficult to understand. And that might seem a bit strange, uh, but that is sort of the way he sets it up. He speaks his parables in a way that only those who are genuinely listening and genuinely seeking God will understand them. And that others who don't care about it and can't be bothered thinking about it, they go away and they won't understand the parable. So Jesus is doing multiple things at once when he carefully crafts these parables. So he begins the parable of the sower, and it starts this way. A sower went out to sow his seed. So we're talking here about a farmer planting seed for that season. Now the Jews in Galilee, this is a very agricultural region, so they'd be quite familiar with sowers sowing seed. In fact, they probably could have looked around while Jesus was speaking, and they might have seen some farmers doing this. 
Now, Asoa's general strategy was to plant seed everywhere. He wants to maximize coverage, and then he's going to plow the ground. And he knows that some of it is probably going to miss its mark, but he's trying to at least maximize the, uh, the number of seeds that could potentially grow into proper crops. And when he plants some on the path and rocky ground and thorns, he knows that some is going to fall on bad soil. But his hope is that when he plows them over, at least some of that seed will go back into good soil. So his thinking is, I know that not every single seed will hit its mark, but the wider space covered, the better. That was the farmer's strategy. This image of sowing seed is actually pretty familiar in the Old Testament. God himself is often depicted as a sower. If you look at Isaiah 55, Jeremiah 31, Hosea chapter 2, they all tend to represent God as a sower, and the seed represents God's word that he hopes will produce an abundant crop. So now in this parable, the seed is actually the word of the kingdom as presented by Jesus. So the parable goes on, and most of you will know what happens in the parable here. The seed gets spread into four different places. So firstly, some of it falls on the edge of the path, and it's eaten by birds because it's quite visible. It hasn't yet sunk into the ground, and so the birds come and eat the seed. Some seed falls on rocky ground. Now, that part of Israel does actually have some volcanic rocks, which are not good for growing soil. You can go there today and see this kind of rocky soil. So this seed that falls on the rocky ground, it finds little good soil and it springs up straight away. But it had no depth of earth, and when the sun came up, it was scorched, and not having any roots, it withered away. So this seed actually does get planted, it does start to grow, but because the seed is rocky, the roots can't really go down into the soil, so the plant doesn't last long. Some seed falls among thorns, and in this case, this, the plant does start to grow, but the thorns grow up and choke it, even though it has good soil and good roots, so it ends up producing not very good fruit or not mature fruit. And then the fourth group of seed falls into rich soil, so it grows, grows tall and strong. Now, something that I think is interesting to notice, even at this point, is what's the measure of success here for the seeds? It's not how tall it grows, it's how much fruit it produces. That's the measure of success here. So if we were to analyze the four groups of seeds in order from most productive to least productive in terms of how much fruit it produces, the rich soil is clearly the best group. And then interestingly, I think the next best group is the rocky ground because this group does produce fruit for a short time before it withers away. And then just below that would be the thorns, the seed that falls among thorns because that seed doesn't really produce any good fruit at all. Even though it looked promising, it didn't actually produce any mature fruit at all. And then the worst group, of course, is the seed that falls on the path, which doesn't even start the process of growing. So it doesn't necessarily follow the the order that Jesus presented in order for us to work out what's the most, from most productive to least productive. I think the rocky ground actually produces more fruit here than the thorns does. Uh, but you can look at this parable yourself and see if you agree. Luke goes on here. Jesus said this, and as he said it, he cried, Listen, anyone who has ears to hear. That basically means absorb into one's heart. Jesus wants people to really listen, to really think about what he's saying, if they want to understand the kingdom. Jesus here is signaling that what he's just said is important, and the crowd needs to reflect on it if they want to understand it and to be a part of the kingdom. And this is another aspect of parables. People can't remain neutral in the face of a parable. 
They're deliberately supposed to challenge the listener and to make them go away and think about it. And that's Jesus' goal. He wants people to go away and think about it and to come to understand what he's been saying. There's now a transition in the text. We know from Matthew and Mark that this next scene is later in the day. And so now it's just Jesus with the 12 apostles and his usual disciples. So it's just his inner circle now. The crowds have gone away. Verse 9, his disciples asked him what this parable might mean. Jesus doesn't answer their question straight away here. He, instead, he first teaches them about parables in general before he gets to the interpretation of this parable. Here's what he says in verse 10. These are often considered to be some of the hardest words to understand in the Gospels. Verse 10, Jesus speaking to his apostles. The mysteries of the kingdom of God are revealed to you. For the rest, there are only parables. So what are the mysteries of the kingdom of God? It carries the idea of something that is made known only by revelation. That's what a mystery is. The mysteries of the kingdom of God are things that God reveals to certain people. And Jesus here says they are revealed to you, his inner circle. More literally, it says to you, it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. Why do the disciples get it? Why are they, why are they given access to the mysteries? Well, it's because they are open to God in his kingdom. So they're going to understand the meaning of the parables Most of his inner circle there have experienced the kingdom. They're probably already in the kingdom because they've been following to Jesus and listening to him for a while. So they understand it and they actually get to see the kingdom in the very person of Jesus. So that's why they understand the parable, because they're open to it. They're ready to hear it. A lot of the crowd probably is not quite ready to hear it yet. Jesus says, for the rest, there are only parables. So those who are not in the kingdom of God, that will be the crowd, they are only going to get to hear parables from Jesus rather than direct explanations. Now, that's not meant to be exclusive in the sense that we think about it. Jesus is giving the parable so that some of the people who are outside the kingdom, so some of the people in the crowd, might come into the kingdom. That's the point. But he has to craft the parable in a particular way uh, so that there's going to be different responses based on people's um, openness to God. So here we have an explanation of why Jesus typically speaks to the crowds in parables. When he's dealing with smaller groups, he doesn't always use parables. But when he's speaking to the crowds, he prefers to use parables. And here's the reason that Jesus gives us as to why he speaks to the crowds in parables. He says, so that they may see but not perceive, listen but not understand. Strange words, but this is a quote from Isaiah chapter 6, verses 9 to 10. Matthew and Mark's version give us the complete quote that Jesus uh, quotes here from Isaiah. He actually does quite an extended quote from Isaiah, but we just have the short version. If you read Isaiah chapter 6, that's exactly what it says. God says, they may see but not perceive, listen but not understand. In that context, God is telling Isaiah that his message will be met with stubborn resistance. It is not that God himself blocks the hearts of the people here. That would be a bad interpretation of the Isaiah text. God doesn't block their hearts. The people do this to themselves when they hear the message that God's prophet brings. So they refuse to listen and their hearts end up being blocked out of stubbornness. Now, even if you go on to the rest of the Isaiah passage, you'll see that it's not all negative because God does preserve a remnant holy seed. Interestingly, Paul later quotes the exact same passage to explain why people respond differently to his preaching. You can see that in Acts chapter 28. 
So it's an interesting passage from Isaiah that talks about how some people's hearts are blocked from understanding the message. And it's basically stubborn resistance that's being described here. So Jesus' implication here is that he's teaching in parables to the crowd because he wants to deliver the information in such a way so that not everyone will perceive the meaning of the parable. Only those that are worthy, so that is those who are open to God's work, will be able to reflect on the parables and perceive their meaning. Those who are not open to God's kingdom, they will hear the parables, but they won't be able to understand. So the parables both conceal and reveal the mystery of the kingdom, depending on the disposition of the hearer. Now, that's controversial, isn't it? Everything I've just said there about parables may not be the way that you've heard parables explained, but it's what Jesus himself says about them. He speaks parables so that some people understand and some people won't. Having said that, Jesus goes on in verse 11 to explain the meaning of this particular parable. He perceives that his disciples need a bit of help here. They haven't quite grasped the parable. So he's going to give them the inside scoop and open their eyes to its meaning. Now, this podcast is all about the literal sense of the text. When dealing with parables, that means we need to try and get at the meaning that Jesus intended, not the meaning that uh, people today try and give it. What's the meaning that Jesus intended? The parable of the sower is one of the few parables where we actually get to hear what Jesus intended. So we need to read the parable with that interpretation in mind. Jesus is going to tell us what the parable means, so we need to listen to it. And we're lucky that Luke has recorded this because this was a private briefing between Jesus and the disciples. If Luke hadn't recorded these next few verses, we wouldn't necessarily know exactly what Jesus meant by the parable. But luckily, we got to be part of this inside briefing. Most of the crowd would not have been part of this briefing, so they wouldn't know. So we're in a privileged position here. So when we combine Luke's version of the parable of the sower with the information that Matthew and Mark provide... Jesus tells the disciples the meaning of the parable, and here's how it goes. The seed represents the word of God. Now, that is the message of the kingdom. The word of God doesn't mean Jesus. The seed is the message of the kingdom. Now, that's preached by Jesus, but basically the word is information about God. And later, the disciples will preach the word of God. The sower represents those spreading the message of the kingdom, so Jesus and his disciples. Now, Two things that we aren't given the interpretation of, but I think we can work it out reasonably well. What are the roots? I think the roots in the parable are understanding the kingdom of God and what it costs. So understanding the basics of the kingdom. The fruit would be acting on the message of the kingdom and producing good works. So I think that makes good sense of it. Roots is understanding the kingdom. Fruits is producing good works as a result of believing the kingdom. Jesus goes on, he tells us in verse 12, the path represents people who hear the word, but then Satan immediately takes away the word so they don't perceive it at all. So maybe that would be people who don't grasp the meaning of the kingdom, maybe through fear or faulty human reasoning. Now that would certainly apply to the Pharisees, wouldn't it? Because they so misunderstand Jesus that they think he's not from God at all. They think he's from the devil. So this first group refers to people who just don't get it at all. Now, only Luke's version here adds some interesting information. Luke here says that Satan's motive for uh, blocking this is that he doesn't want people to believe and be saved. That's why Satan takes the word away. 
So here we have a clear teaching that Satan wants to stop people from coming to God. That's actually what it says. Read the text, verse 11. It says, The devil carries away the word from their hearts in case they should believe and be saved. So that's interesting, isn't it? Verse 13, Jesus talks about who is the rocky ground. The seed on the rocky ground represents, quote, people who welcome the word with joy, but they have no root. So when persecution arises because of the word, they fall away. Matthew and Mark's version make it clear that the persecution here is persecution because they have faith. So it's persecution of Christians. And the word here for fall away is scandalizomai. That's an interesting Greek word. So these would be people who do well at the start, but who end up leaving the kingdom when they're persecuted for it. So some people have misinterpreted this part of the parable to say that the seed on the rocky ground represents people who have difficulties in life. That's not really correct. It's people who are persecuted for the faith. And we know that there were many Christians who did leave the faith as a result of persecution in the early years. In fact, this is one of the things that Jesus encourages people to pray for in the Our Father, isn't it? He says, lead us not into temptation, because he doesn't want people to fall away when they're persecuted for the faith. Verse 14, Jesus says, the seed that falls on thorny soil is people who hear the word, but the cares of the world, delight in riches and desire for other things or passions, enter in and choke the word and it proves unfruitful. So what it actually says here is the deceit of riches. So there's strong echoes here of what we uh, see later in the New Testament as the world, the flesh, and the devil, the people who get caught up in the world, the flesh, and the devil. So this would be people who understand the message. It seems that this group of seed does have roots, right? So they do understand the message of the kingdom, but they're more interested in earthly things. So they end up producing not very good fruit. In fact, only Luke specifically mentions that their fruit does not mature. So these people don't reach the fullness of the kingdom of God or what's expected of them as members of the kingdom of God. So this is a group that understands the kingdom, but they end up not producing the works that God expects because their priorities are elsewhere. This is the group that I think perhaps a lot of us in the 21st century fall into. A lot of us do understand the message of the kingdom, certainly not everyone, but a lot of Christians do understand the message of the kingdom, but it's very easy to get caught up in the world. And I think, you know, certainly for myself, um, I sometimes would fall into this category of uh, getting choked out by the world and not producing the mature fruit that God expects. And I think many of us are in this position. This is the, uh, perhaps the category that we should talk about the most. Verse 15, Jesus says there's seed that falls into rich soil. So this would be people with a noble and generous heart, as Luke says, or honest and good heart. They receive the word and take it to themselves, or they hold it fast to themselves, and they yield a harvest through their perseverance. Or more literally there, they bring forth fruit with patience. Notice this third group, or this fourth group rather, does does the opposite of the other three groups, right? So they embrace the message, unlike those, the seed that fell on the path who didn't embrace it. They persevere, unlike uh, the ones that fell in the, in the rocky soil, this group perseveres. And this last group produces mature fruit, unlike the seed that fell amongst the thorns. So this fourth group is people who hear the message of the kingdom They meditate on it, they accept it, and they cooperate with God's grace and bring forth the fruit that God is looking for, even through difficulties. 
Notice that Jesus specifically mentions their hearts. They have a noble and generous heart. So these are people whose hearts are open to God and his kingdom. And then Luke here adds on the end, this last group produces a hundredfold yield. Now that's a miraculous harvest. In that culture, you would never get a hundredfold yield. This is suggesting that God is the one that's responsible for producing the fruit because he can't get a hundredfold yield without a miracle, basically. Let's keep in mind, that's the end of the interpretation Jesus gives us. Remember, he's only given his disciples the meaning of the parable, not the crowd. The crowd would not have heard this. So if they want to understand the meaning of the parable, they need to go away and meditate on it. Those who do will be guided by God to find the meaning, but those who can't be bothered won't find the meaning. So in this way, Jesus is able to impart information about the kingdom of God only to those who are worthy of it and not to everyone. That's the clear teaching of this passage. Now, we're in a different position compared to the crowd in the first century because the apostles and the gospel writers have told us directly what the meaning of this parable is. We have the meaning now. We don't need to go away and really scratch our heads to think about the meaning. Jesus has given us the meaning. But we now need to think about which group are we in. So overall, Jesus' message to the original crowd was for them to examine their response to the call of the kingdom of God and to honestly evaluate what obstacles might be hindering them from bearing the abundant harvest that God desires of them. And we're in the same position. We need to reflect on which group are we in, what's stopping us from being in the fourth group. So let's now turn to the catechism. And Luke's version of the parable gets some interesting applications here in the catechism. I think you'll find a lot of these paragraphs quite fascinating. So paragraph 2731 talks about facing difficulties in prayer. Listen out for the application here from the parable of the sower. Paragraph 2731. Another difficulty, especially for those who sincerely want to pray, is dryness. Dryness belongs to contemplative prayer when the heart is separated from God, with no taste for thoughts, memories, and feelings, even spiritual ones. This is the moment of sheer faith clinging to clinging faithfully to Jesus in his agony and in his tomb. Unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. If dryness is due to the lack of roots, because the word has fallen on rocky soil, the battle requires conversion. Interesting, isn't it? That talks about one of the reasons that people can struggle to pray or experience dryness in prayer is because of lack of roots. And the way to fix that is through conversion. Paragraph 1151, this is about how Jesus uses signs in his ministry. In his preaching, the Lord Jesus often makes use of the signs of creation to make known the mysteries of the kingdom of God. And here it references the parable of the sower. Paragraph 2847, this is in the section about lead us not into temptation. So a commentary on the Lord's prayer. Here's what it says about temptation. The Holy Spirit makes us discern between trials, which are necessary for the growth of the inner man, and temptation, which leads to sin and death. We must also discern between being tempted and consenting to temptation. Finally, discernment unmasks the lie of temptation, whose object appears to be good, a delight to the eyes, and desirable, when in reality its fruit is death. God does not want to impose the good, but wants free beings." There is a certain usefulness to temptation. No one but God knows what our soul has received from him, not even we ourselves. 
but temptation reveals it in order to teach us to know ourselves, and in this way we discover our evil inclinations and are obliged to give thanks for the goods that temptation has revealed to us. So quite deep theology there about the role of temptation, and it mentions here uh, the group, uh, the seed that falls into the thorns, which are choked out by temptation. Paragraph 368, this is in a section about what is the heart. The spiritual tradition of the church also emphasizes the heart in the biblical sense of the depths of one's being, where the person decides for or against God. And there the catechism references the last group in the parable of the sower who are said to have good and receptive hearts to God's word. Lastly, paragraph 2668, which is in the section about praying to Jesus. The invocation of the holy name of Jesus is the simplest way of praying always. When the holy name is repeated often by a humbly attentive heart, the prayer is not lost by heaping up empty phrases, but holds fast to the word and brings forth fruit with patience. This prayer is possible at all times because it is not one occupation among others, but the only occupation, that of loving God, which animates and transfigures every action in Christ Jesus. So some quite powerful paragraphs there from the Catechism. Well, it's been a longer episode today, but I hope you'll agree that when you dive into the parable of the sower, there's a little more going on there, and it's actually well worth diving into it in the way that we have. If you think others would benefit from hearing this episode, please share it with them, subscribe on YouTube, leave a rating on iTunes so more and more people can get to see this ministry and what it's all about. And if you believe this small ministry is worth investing in, if you want more and more people to hear the message, if you want the ministry to be able to do more things and get the word out there, please consider becoming a partner of the ministry. We rely on your support. Uh, There's no other support from the ministry except you guys, the listeners. If you're interested in that, please check out the Patreon page, which is in the show notes. Thanks, and we'll continue tomorrow.